There's a story that I, I read actually in a book by Cheryl Garrett. Cheryl Garrett. Uh, you wow. remember her? She was. Uh, she was a really close face. friend of mine, and she, I, I don't know where she's at in this world. Is she? In oh, the we book, were really quotes that um, when everybody entered the warehouse, they were given an acid tab. And during the course of the night, and this may be true, I'm just asking you if this happened, because it's a great story. Mm -hmm. um, everyone was given an acid tab, whether they chose to take it or not is, is another thing. Mm -hmm. But at one point, you would just completely stop the music, cut all the lights so the room was pitch black, and there would be a, the noise of a train going through the sound system, and everybody freaked out. That's half true. That's half true. That's half true. One, um, no one was given a tab of acid when they came through the front door. Now, they sorted that out on their own. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I did a lot of environmental things in that room. Uh, I could be very experimental with it. So there would be points in the evening where, you know, I mean, the energy level is so high, you know, that I felt maybe I need to give these people a chance to catch up to themselves. So this, the song is playing will fade out and then, or it would fade right into a rainstorm or something like that. And then we turn on the uh, exhaust fans and the heat in the room would just completely disappear. It would just cool off and people felt like they were actually in the dark, in a rainstorm. So you can hear it and then all of a sudden you hear the thunder and this, that and the other and it would get really, really intense. And then as the rain began to subside and stuff like that, you can hear a train in the distance. And then all of a sudden, it would just like come right through that room and pick, and people would go running, but they would run into the walls, they would run into themselves. <laughs> you know, they couldn't see what they were doing, they couldn't see where they were going. But, yes. you know, in the cold light of the morning, the next day when it's all over and done with, people are standing around <laughs> outside just talking about that train, that train, that train, that train. <laughs> you know, and sometimes I'd have to wait for people to really leave because I couldn't get out of the club because they would just rush me. Some of them loving it, some of them lost their minds on it, you know, and especially if, you know, if they're tripping like that. You think you're really seeing these things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, it was half true. Okay. Or partially, anyway. <laughs> Actually, yes, that embellishes it just perfectly. So. <laughs> and so, you moved to New York at that point. You moved back to New York? Shortly thereafter. And. I, the next kind of phase of your career, I, I feel, started with the, the productions that you were involved with. Well, I did a little bit of production in Chicago before I left. Uh, understood. You know, I mean, uh, the original version of Move Your Body, I, did, I mixed that for Marshall Jefferson. Uh, and then there was a host of little small records that came out on tracks that I had done. You know, I mean, I, was, I never got paid for any of that work, but the education was the pay. You know what I mean? I figured the more time I could spend in the studio and the more time, you know, the more time I spent there, I would learn and I would eventually be able to take that somewhere. So by the time I left Chicago, going to New York City, uh, record companies and A&R people were coming out of the woodwork asking me to do things for them. And I just happened to get in at Def Mix on the ground floor, coming through the front door with all of this. So it, it, it balanced out. So that was how, you, how you, your association with Def Mix started. And obviously for people that are, you know, Def Mix is a, um, was a production remix DJ organization which consisted of yourself, David Morales, later on Satoshi Tomi, and it was managed by, by Judy Weinstein. Yes. The company actually really just belonged to Judy and David. You know, um, I became, I'm not really an officer in the company, I became a client of the company and also you know, David and I were partners in the studio. But I think because I had made so much of a name for myself up until that particular point, 
I'm attracting all this work that's coming in and David wasn't getting the respect, you know what I mean? Which wasn't fair, I didn't think, because I know he, he worked as hard as I did and I watched him and we did so much stuff together. You know, but eventually he and I had to kind of separate in order for him to get his. And, and, and the chemistry between you and David, how did, how did that work? Who was responsible for, for what specific part of the music making process? We were both equally uh, responsible for it. It's interesting because we'd be at that SNL board, that SSL board, excuse me, uh, in the studio and he'd take the top in where all the percussion is and the drums, because that's mainly his thing. Uh, at least it was at the time, and I'd be at the bottom end of the board where all the vocals are and the harmonics and the, all the pretty stuff. <laughs> and I'm down here. And so, you know, uh, the main controls of an SSL board is like right in the center. So we'd work our way to the center. I'd do all my, you know, mutes and this, that, and the other down here. He's doing his thing up there. And then eventually we meet in the middle and we just fuse it all together. And you get something like Where Love Lives by Alice Memory. <laughs> 